Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast with me, Mark Cribb. Now today I'm very excited to chat to Simon Mitchell from Curb Food, the very awesome street food operators up in London. Uh, Although I've had JD on from Street Feast chatting about the wider picture of hospitality during this pandemic, this is the first episode I've done representing what is such a vibrant, energised, important and all too neglected part of the incredible hospitality sector. And when I say neglected, I mean that so many of them are small, independent operators with no premises and no staffs generally don't qualify for grants or furloughing cash. It's heartbreaking to imagine the hardship that some of these incredible hospitality humans are facing during this crisis. Simon and I chat briefly about the origins of Curb when Petra founded it, the rise and importance of street food, and about some of the incredible characters that it represents, such as Manuel from Mother Flipper. We touch on the challenge with rents and the National Time Out campaign and what that would mean for Curb and their Seven Dial site, as well as the rest of the industry. Simon and Curb were heavily in negotiations over rents and their C-bills applications literally pre and post this recording, so I'm even more grateful to Simon for taking the time out to chat. Now, despite the chaos of our sector, there was plenty of positivity to chat about too, such as the opportunities for street food to maybe be one of the first sectors to rebound with its natural alfresco credentials. And will the VCs looking for faster growth be gone for a while in our sector, potentially reducing rents and allowing some street food operators to progress into fixed units sometime in the future? It was also great to hear about some of the initiatives Simon and his team are working on to support their members, along with your chance to check out some free resources via the spin-out onto their YouTube of some of their incubator information. I love chatting to Simon and certainly will be heading up to meet him and Petra in person over an icy cold beer when all of this is over. And I'm sure they will be up and thriving again. Now before we start, if you could head over to humansofhospitality.co.uk forward slash donate to make a donation via the tip jar to help support this podcast and keep me and it on the air. Now that my personal businesses are all closed and not operating, that would be hugely, hugely appreciated. Thank you so much and I very much hope you enjoy the chat. Simon Mitchell from Curb, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hugely appreciated. Uh, where are you in the world? Are you at home? Or? Yeah, I'm at home in a in a small box room that's been converted into an office ah. slash storage room. Excellent. Well, that's better than a few of my guests who've who've been sort of carving out little spaces in the corners of their bedroom, and it always sounds a bit odd when they say, "Yes, I'm I'm calling from the bedroom." So, well done for finding uh, a small box. Where do you live? Are you London bound or? Yeah, North London. North London. Okay, perfect. So uh, I'm genuinely excited. I'm sorry, I've, most of these podcasts I do face to face. And then I've been doing a sort of a sort of some diving back with people I've previously spoken to as, as this sort of pandemic been going on. Um, but so many listeners and people uh, over the last year or so that I've been doing this have said, you've got to speak to the guys from Curb, you've got to speak to Curb. I, I think we share a, a sort of passion and ethos. So, it, so it's great to finally be chatting to you. Only too sorry that I haven't come to see you. But when this is all over, I'll, I'll come up to the office in London. But for those who don't know, Curb. Can you just explain a little bit about, about what Curb is and what your role is, please, Simon? Sure. I mean, Curb is uh, is most well known for our, our heritage in street food. We were founded in uh, 2010 by Petra Barron, who was a street food trader and was the per- first person really to cluster street food traders together as an organisation, bring together the best traders in London and give them a platform to trade and really was responsible for the, the huge um kind of uh street food culture that we see now that's everywhere um four years into the business she wanted to expand it um and uh started talking to me about helping as a consultant initially and then brought me in as managing director uh, about four and a half years ago now to look at how we could grow the business and we've we've gone off in lots of different directions now we still run amazing street food markets but we also um, have an incubation side to our business we have a corporate catering side to our business and we've opened a rather large food hall in central london called seven dials market Uh, amazing how long ago did seven dials open Uh, it opened uh in september last year ah just in time yeah (laughs) just in time yeah just, just in time and what was your role were you in the industry before then simon so my background's in events and catering I um, I was a fan of Curb from day one. I was at their launch party just as a, as a punter um, and had followed their progress and started to use Curb 
uh, to cater some of the events I was working on. So that's how the conversation kind of started. Um, but as a fan, I jumped at the opportunity to be more involved in the business. And, and previously, I'd been in quite a corporate environment. So um, it was, a, it was a, a great opportunity to kind of follow a passion, really. Mm. What made you fall in love with it? Well, I, I, I love street food. You know, I've, I've been obsessed with it since the start, you know, following vans around London, going to all the burger competitions, um, and then understanding a bit more what Curve does and the platform it provides its traders and the stories behind those traders is is absolutely fascinating and um, and gives you a real kind of purpose to go out and, and want to do better for Curve, but also for the hundred or so members that we have. Yeah, literally the opposite of corporate catering, I suppose. Stories is key, I think, in in, in what for me is proper hospitality. Uh, yeah, where, where you know the, the journeys that people have on and how they end up doing what they're doing is what really brings hospitality to life, I guess, isn't it? Absolutely, stories and authenticity. Mm. You know, and I came from a world where every catering company in London was offering street food in inverted commas, which was basically you know a burger um, from a from a food stall. Um, and I always give the example of no catering company in London, not the best catering companies in London, can deliver you a burger as well as uh, one of our traders, Manuel, let's say, from Mother Flipper. Because all Manuel from Mother Flipper does, and all he's done for 10 years, is make amazing burgers. Whereas all these catering companies are trying to make every kind of food under the sun for all different kinds of people in all different environments. We have you know, specialists in each different type of food. That's all they do. And more often than not, it's them cooking it. It's their passion going into that burger that you're eating at that event. So it's it's completely different from that world. And and for me, it's the passion, it's the authenticity and the, the passion and the stories behind it that gives it its, its uniqueness. Yeah, no, I love it. I think as soon as you try and scale anything, you automatically lose that love, don't you? If Manuel is actually making those burgers and that's all he's done, then then they're clearly going to be a million times better than much as I, I employ a lot of chefs and I love chefs. Um, but there's always going to be some level of compromise as soon as you try and work at scale, I guess. So, so how many, you, you mentioned um, Seven Dials, but how many other locations? Are, are they all in London and how many uh, are there? So Seven Dials is our fixed food hall. Um, we run lunch markets in, well, we, we ran lunch markets um, all around London. So we started with a lunch market in King's Cross back in, in 2010 um, on the boulevard feeding the builders before there was anything in King's Cross. We're still there now. Uh, we were before the pandemic. We, we moved around the site um, most recently to Cubit Square, but we're hoping to return to King's Cross soon. Um, we trade at West India Quay, which is just across a little bridge from Canary Wharf, um, in London Bridge and more London, um, St. Catherine's Dock. Um, we're at the Gherkin every Thursday, and I think that's about it. Okay. And are these predominantly sort of, you know, pop up uh, for lunch, then taken down at the end of the day, or are these sort of permanent positions that are fixed in place? No, absolutely. They're pop ups. We have different traders every day. They arrive in the morning, set up. They typically sell their food from between 12 and 2 p.m., and they're gone out there by three amazing love it uh and, and i know petra describes the sort of you know these, these these traders and what they set up as their stage for those couple of hours can you just talk a little bit more about the sort of traders you represent because this is predominantly i was gonna say one man band but, but like you say individual passionate people can you just talk about a few absolutely i mean we we have a you know as i said we we had a we have about 100 members currently in curb uh, trade actively trading with us. Some of them are traders that've been with us since the store, and they're a really diverse group of people from all kinds of backgrounds. So you know, you have the chef um, Tristan from Biandang, um, quite randomly and interestingly, um, and I didn't know this until a while after I joined Curb. Used to work for the same catering company that I did, and he was a chef. Um, didn't enjoy that corporate environment and set up himself um, selling the most delicious Taiwanese lunch boxes on our markets. And he rocks up at King's Cross and he'll have a queue half an hour long every single day he trades and, and loves it, loves to be able to give that bit of authenticity, that little bit of him, completely uncompromised on the street. Um, you then have uh, someone like uh, Tom, who runs Truffle Burger, who's, who's a young guy, uh, trained classically as a chef, wasn't into the kind of kitchen lifestyle, um, had this great idea for a truffle burger, came on our incubator scheme um, through through that program and excelled very quickly and now has a stall at Seven Dials Market where he is one of the most popular traders there and has built a really great name for himself. 
But then you also have people like um, Makacha, who um, sell a uh, rendang, um, and they were a, a retired couple, actually. They used to run an IT company in Pakistan um, that came back to the UK, uh, were taken to one of the street feast sites, I think, by their daughter, and kind of looked at each other and said, we could do something like this, like our food's this good. And, and a few years ago, their, uh, their rendang was actually the best-selling dish on curb. Um, and then you have, um, we've, got, we've got a couple of interesting stories on our, uh, on our scheme right now. So Iche, um were on a university course and had to choose between getting a job, um, which was too hard with visa requirements, or they could start their own business and get a visit visa that way. Um, so they set up Iche as a street food business, made it work, and were able to get a visa to, to stay in the country. So there's there's lots of incredible different stories from people of all different backgrounds. You know, yes, we do have the disillusioned city type that, you know, looked out the window longingly from the gherkin and thought, well, you know, this isn't for me. I want to be on the street and, and sets up a street food van. Um, and more recently, we've had a lot of people that, that get into street food purposely as a fast track to a restaurant. Um, I think one of the more interesting um, kind of uh, results of this pandemic might be that we come back to getting more people um, joining Curb and entering street food as an industry as a legitimate means of making a living, not as a fast track to something else. And that could be quite exciting. You know, uh, Curb was sort of born out of the last recession and you saw some really interesting characters come in with some interesting and diverse food. And, and we're hoping that as a positive of all of this, and you have to look to the positives, that we see some of those people re-emerging and some new exciting energy coming in with some new interesting concepts. Yeah, I love the fact that you're straight into the uh, positives. I think there's something about this sector that w when you look at us as a sector and think, my goodness, you know, it really is on its knees with no real clear sign how it's going to come out of it yet. You know, we're out there feeding key workers, you know, in the NHS and getting involved in community projects and, and kind of looking at, yeah, what are the positives and pivoting quickly into other roles. Um, and the fact that you represent so many different nationalities and styles of food, fundamentally human beings, hospitality is about, is about humans and stories. So yeah, in, in, in what can be a slightly depressing arena at the moment, I think you're a great reminder of, of why hospitality is such a beautiful industry, basically. Um, is, it, is it sort of well recognised, I guess, that that soul and that energy and what you bring to London as Curb? Has it been well-received and well-respected? Um, I would say so. You know, I think, you know, we've built up quite a, a good reputation over the years for, for what we do bring to London. And we do, I think we represent some of the best of London in terms of diversity, um, in terms of access, accessibility um, and creativity. And I think, you know, we, um, you know, we are recognised for that. And does that mean the council does it? Because I'm guessing you have to work with the local authorities if you want to use sort of public street spaces. Are they are they pretty on board at recognising that you bring yeah an energy to the community and, and provide a service and, and sort of generally get on board with your ideas and providing access reasonably quickly? Or can it can it be a bit of a battle? To be honest with you, not at all. Um, we actually work with predominantly private landlords because the council make it incredibly hard to trade. Um, and so, you know, we are on private land in King's Cross with Argent, uh, West India Quay with Land Securities, um, at the Gherkin with, with the owners of, of the Gherkin. We, we tend, not, you know, uh, St. Catherine's Docks owned by Blackstone. We tend not to, to work on council property. And invariably, when we do, we run into trouble. Yeah, it's such um, a shame, isn't it? When it's yeah, such they, a, they just clearly don't get it. such a good thing. Yeah. That's so frustrating. I'm, I'm yeah, a council I mean, now tenant. Is now, a, now it could be a wonderful opportunity. You know, we have um, a lot of businesses that are really, really struggling, that fall between the cracks of all of these government schemes and are really, you know, really struggling to make ends meet. But, you know, with the, with the latest government um, guidelines, should we call them, you know, clearly the safest place to be is outside. And you know, rather than rummaging through a prep inside where you touch all the sandwiches and put them back potentially, you know, we, we feel there's a huge opportunity to get these street food traders back out and trading in a safe, socially distanced way. Um, and, you know, we'd love the councils to get on board with allowing that, allowing these people, you know, just to pitch up wherever. 
you know, buy a busy park and be able to service the people that are there safely, but also earn a living in a world where they can't and they have not received in many, many cases any government support at all. Mm. It does feel like it needs to be the sort of the year of alfresco, doesn't it? And I'm, I'm terrified that as soon as we're released from full lockdown, it will pee it down with rain because the weather's been absolutely beautiful. Yeah. But anything that you can do outside feels like the right thing to do. Um, I wanted to ask about, yeah, the support, because I'm presuming that most of these traders aren't paying business rates and I guess they're self-employed. So, and, and I don't know whether they pay themselves as directors, but um, yeah, are they, are they falling through the cracks? What sort of support are they getting and what aren't they qualifying for? Um, so, yeah, as I said, a lot of them are completely falling through the cracks. So um, business rate, invariably, they don't pay. They may have a small production kitchen, but again, that might be shared. And often it's sublet from another landlord who will receive the benefit of A, not paying the business rates and B, the grant and won't be passing that grant on. So it's very rare where one of our traders will have their own lease on a kitchen and be able to benefit from that. Um, most of them don't furlough staff. You know, most of the staff that work in our sector are quite casual and move between traders. Um, so a lot of the staff clearly are, are falling between the cracks because they can't be furloughed. A lot of the owners, you know, would pay themselves via dividends. So they can't be furloughed themselves. You know, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. They're paying their taxes, they're declaring the money, but they pay themselves through dividends so they can't furlough themselves. Um, they're not going to get a C-bills loan because they're not going to meet the criteria. I mean, we're, we're trying to get a C-bills loan and we're struggling and we're an established business that's been profitable every year. Um, I think one of, the, one of the most recent things that they may be able to benefit from, if they're a limited company, the bounce back loans. Now, I've heard good things about people that are applying for them and getting them very quickly and easily. Um, but um, so far, that's really one of the only... Uh, government interventions that our traders can take advantage of so if they other than that you know a lot of these businesses would have been shut for eight nine weeks now and received no government support and have no income during you know the time of year where street food traders have just been through the worst six months you know we've just had the winter and actually kind of the latter part of the winter was incredibly wet and windy we were cancelling a lot of markets for high winds so Typically, a trader will try and make as much money as possible through the summer and make it last through the winter. So they might have been running kind of on fumes when this hit, really looking forward to a summer of busy street food markets, festivals and events. And, and in some cases, festivals where they've paid a deposit, which they may or may not be getting back um, and suddenly have no income through the summer. And the worry is if they don't get any income through the rest of the summer, how are they going to survive another winter if they do get through the summer? And, and that's a big concern. It is, yeah. It literally is the perfect storm. And, and I don't think that you know the public who don't work outside wouldn't appreciate how many of those storms, Kiara, George, Dennis, they all came at a weekend, didn't they? None of them came on a Monday or Tuesday. They all pretty much hit peak kind of trading times. I'm, yeah. I'm presuming, are you are you busier in, are you actually, I suppose, are you more affected by the corporate market or are you the weekend market? Well, no, all of our lunch markets are actually weekdays. We don't do much right. trading at all at the weekend. Okay. We tend to well, target the. Uh, <laughs> Although they all hit Friday, which is a which is a busy. Day. Well, they. I mean, I, you know, I can't recall exactly when they hit, but we were cancelling a lot of markets for high yeah. winds. I can recall because I run a seafront restaurant, and every right. uh, if they hit me on a Monday or a Tuesday for me, that was you know maybe a, a you know four or five hundred quid. But every time mm. they hit me on a Saturday and Sunday, it was another yeah. ten grand. So yeah. it's uh, it's ingrained. But you're right; it was an incredibly tough winter from from an impact on curb perspective. How does it work? These these members pay you uh, a percentage of revenue or a fixed fee to trade with you, and uh, presumably that's impacting your income as well. Absolutely. So we um, we've always had a policy where we're in it with the traders. So rather than fixed pitch fees, we charge a percentage of turnover with no minimum. Um, so, again, we've just had a quite lean winter um, and have no real income to speak of right now in our business. So um, we can't trade any markets. We don't have any corporate catering this summer. It's all been cancelled um, and we don't expect much, if any, for the rest of this year. Um, so we are very, you know, all of the events we have planned for the summer at the moment are on hold. So currently we have no income. We are really keen to get back trading on the streets as soon as it is safe to do so. And as soon as there's enough people out in the locations where we where we have markets for, for that to be sustainable. But we want to do that for us and we want to do it for the traders to give them an opportunity to make some money as well. 
And now that the government legislation has changed, you know, just well today, I think, isn't it Wednesday? So we're we're now no longer do we have to, you know, only be outside for exercise, you can go outside and and sit in the sun. Does that change? Do you think your opportunity to trade? And and when do you think you, you can start that process? Yeah, we we do. We, we, we're starting to speak to our landlords this week um, and sending them our social distancing policies. We, we're going to keep an eye on all of those locations over the coming weeks and be ready as soon as possible to, to open. And, and, you know, once the people are there, we'll be back open. Realistically, I think, you know, it's going to take some weeks, if not months, for people to get the confidence to kind of get back out um, more regularly. Um, and and particularly to go back to their offices. So I think kind of best case, we're looking at mid to late June. Mm. It does feel like outside should go first. I appreciate people can't still can't use terraces and sort of shared areas like that, but, but to buy food, to take back to the office or take to the local park, you know, it does feel like that would at least be acceptable from a, from a law perspective, I suppose, or from a guidance perspective, it's whether the public, yeah, want it and support it and stuff like that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's completely fine at the moment, legally. We're, we're in the same class as the takeaway. Um, but it's whether the traders want to trade and they deem it safe enough to trade and whether our customers are there and, and deem it safe enough to come and buy from us. Yeah. Um, you mentioned C-bills as well. So, so Rishi, um, much as I think we all support, you know, the furlough support is fantastic for our teams or for not in uh, your case with your traders, but I guess for Curb's team mm-hmm. uh, itself. Yeah. Um, but the main support that's being spoken of is this C-bills. And there's the challenge, I guess, of simply getting into debt. Most times when we get into debt, we're getting into debt because there's a revenue generating opportunity and we can create some sort of infrastructure. But this is purely debt to stay alive. Who um, who do you bank with and, and what's their response? I'm sort of, I, I guess it's a very nervous time for the banks to be looking at hospitality with no clear sort of exit strategy of how we get out of this and, and whether they want to invest? How are you finding that? Um, it, so we bank with NatWest um, and we have a relationship manager that deals solely with hospitality businesses. So uh, he's quite busy, as you can imagine. I bet, yeah. um, we've been talking to the bank for weeks now um, and submitting applications, getting knocked back, um, reducing our requirement going back again and that's ongoing so as of today we've got nothing you know i'm quite reluctant to be honest with you to take on lots of debt um but you know we we do need to survive and we need to survive because we have a a responsibility to our traders and to our team to do so and to continue um so we're still talking to them they are engaging with us they do speak to us regularly i'm hopeful of getting something um, it won't be everything that we wanted, but I'm hopeful. But I think, you know, as I said, we we tick all the right boxes. We're, we're an established business. Um, Curb in its current um, kind of um, entity has been going for seven years. It's been profitable every year. It hasn't got any debt. So you would think we tick every box. So if, if we don't get anything, I would really question who is getting anything. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I'm fascinated to see, you know, what what is the hospitality industry getting? Who's being successful? Because, you know, I get it from the bank's perspective, you know, clearly, it's so hard for us to write sort of, you know, projections and forecasts, you know, they're, they're uh, a make believe scenario at the best of times, because you don't know that you're going to get hit by storms every week for three months of the year, do you? Yeah. But in the current situation, yeah, we're clearly and, and, and you can't blame the government and clearly that, you know, the government can't give us a date that the virus is going to be completely under control. And we open so I sympathize with the banks, but it does feel like the whole point of that 330 billion quid's worth of cash that's government backed is to keep, you know, good viable businesses that ultimately, clearly, we will be able to trade at some point. It's when we can do that, and then this this challenge of yeah, how much debt do you get into purely to stay afloat? And I, I guess that leads nicely into some of the other key things either the government can do or the industry can do. And I know we touched on this very briefly. Uh, JD's been sort of you know backing very strongly this national timeout campaign. Um, are you backing that? Have you been working with it? And what's your thoughts around how realistic that is? Yeah, I think I think it's absolutely brilliant. We're a hundred percent behind it um it only really relates to us with with regard to seven dials market um our our lunch markets don't really have leases and and we're not paying anyone whilst we're not there but seven dials market is a twenty-four thousand square foot food hall in central london you can imagine the rent is quite high um we've already been closed for over two months and and we think potentially we might be closed for the rest of this year given the type of venue it is and the kind of numbers that are needed, we're licensed for 1,100 people. Um, 
So uh, I'm not convinced we could operate that site at all with any kind of social distancing measures. So clearly uh, a nine month rent free, coupled with some government support to help the landlords in terms of their uh, debt, and that nine months being extended on the end of our lease seems a very reasonable request. And it, and I feel like, you know, and it's been said a lot, you know, we in hospitality have um, been subjected to incredible um, rent increases and business rate increases for, for the last however many years. And I think this is the time for everyone to say, you know, that cash cow that's kept our high street going and our and our business going in terms of some of these landlords, it's, it's time to give them something back and it's time to support them through this so that at least there's something less that left of the high street on, on the other side of this. And I, and I feel very strongly that, you know, landlords and, and tenants need to work together through this. If landlords want to play it tough, they're not going to have any tenants at the end of this. And, you know, some of the biggest names on the streets are going to go because we're all being kept alive by the government initiatives at the moment. And if and when we reopen and, and we, the rent gets added onto our, our existing agreements for this time we've been closed or, or similar measures, then people just aren't going to survive. So I think the landlords have got to take a bit of pain. You know, we have a 20-year lease on Seven Dials Market. Other than this year, the next, you know, maybe 12 to 18 months, we, we expect to pay our rent on time every quarter for the for the 18 years we have remaining on that lease. So we just need some help through this incredible um, situation we all find ourselves in. And it can't be on us to take all the pain. That's yeah, really just that, not that, fair. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Well, it's just, it's impossible, isn't it? There's no possible way that you can be, you know, at zero trade with, with zero pounds income and be expected to pay in full. And I don't think anybody's, you know, particularly trying to portray good guy, bad guy here. We're all trying to be reasonable, isn't it? You know, we understand how our landlords make money and that they've got in investments and property and they've got to understand surely that, you know, we use that property to trade and that's what generates income. And it doesn't make sense that one person takes all of the pain and the other person takes none. Does it? And clearly the, the landlords of these facilities, because they actually own assets, do have the opportunity to, to leverage those assets for long-term finance in a way that, you know, that option's simply not available to us. So I don't think it's a case of, of won't pay. It's literally can't pay. Uh, and and I, I, I don't know, I, I'm not getting the impression at the moment that the landlords are completely comprehending that when it seems so blatantly obvious. What, what's your experience? And do you think that they are starting to understand it? Because it's not a massively complicated issue. You know, we do understand that they've also got finances to pay and clearly there needs to be some support with that. But yeah, what's your experience on, on whether they're understanding this? Yeah, I mean, we can only speak from our own experience and we we have one landlord. Our landlord at Seven Dials is Shaftesbury and, that, you know, throughout our, our relationship, they've been excellent. We are talking. Um, we're actually talking straight after this call. Um, they get it. They, they definitely get it. And I think they want to help us. Um, you know, they need to make it work from their side as well. And I understand that, you know, but as you said, it's not about won't pay, it's about can't pay. And ultimately, they're going to have to make a decision of whether they get chucked the keys back or whether they, you know, have one of the best food halls in the world open again, you know, within the, within the next year or so. And, and um, I'm, I'm fairly certain they'll want us to continue having only been open for six months and it been so successful, it's got to be in their interest to have us back open again, as you know, particularly for us as kind of the heartbeat of that area. Mm. Presumably, you've got a, you know a huge amount of public support, and I guess people getting in touch saying how much they want you to reopen. Uh, is that helping? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we we launched a campaign called "Keep the Wheels Turning" about seventy two hours after the government um, told people to stay away from restaurants. Um, and that that's been really well received. Um, it's you know a way of the public engaging and buying vouchers for the traders directly, and also for for Seven Dials. Um, it, it's also a community for the traders. We opened up our trader community to all traders to come and be a part of that and, and share um, share their experiences. Um, and we've had some really really fantastic support for that. And um, of course, it helps. And, you know, we've had lots of really nice messages from customers about wanting to return. And, and our traders that have pivoted and managed to, um, you know, do deliveries or something slightly different during this time have, are doing really well and have been really well supported. So that that's great. You know, and, and it, it shows how much people 
um, enjoy and value what, what we do and, and want it to continue. Yeah, I think that's the the overwhelming thing that's come out of this. I guess one is, you know, clearly the importance and the love of the NHS. And it's been amazing to see how much support that's the sort of key workers have had. And, and clearly that's the sort of primary focus is keeping everybody fit and healthy. But one of the other good things that seems to have come out of this is this sort of realisation, I suppose, of how much we all appreciate our local, you know, bars and our local restaurants and eating scene. And it's almost the point of humanity is that opportunity to socialise with our peers. And uh, we've been the same, sort of overwhelmed by the number of stories of, you know, we, you know, I met my partner in your venue and we've gone off and got married and we've had kids or i've had graduations and celebrations and yeah hospitality fundamentally feels like the point of being on planet earth i think doesn't it so to lose to potentially lose you know 80 percent of our industry in in less than six months predominantly you know because of rent luckily the, the government have helped with our teams at least but it, it just seems like we are on the precipice of a cliff and and to, to lose that you know is, is catastrophic and I, i'm not sure everybody appreciates it yet but it's genuine isn't it we genuinely don't have the money I say it's, it's completely genuine. And as you say, you know, people crave social interaction. You know, the, I feel it. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, very lucky. I'm at home with my family and my kids. And I am, you know, really appreciating the time um, that I am spending with, with my young children. But I'm also desperate, desperate to get to the pub with my mates, you know, and just, just have that kind of informal relax and blow out and let off some steam that hospitality businesses allow. And, you know, as, great as mine and my wife's cooking is i'd really love someone else to cook for us and sit down and be served a meal and i you know the amount of people i talk to and zoom calls are lovely and and whatever else but you know face-to-face meeting is is it's not going to go away people crave that people want to be together and 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 crave that social uh, interaction we provide that you know for for a lot of people in a lot of different ways and um we have to be there on the flip side of this to provide that again yeah, no, definitely. I've always done these uh, podcasts historically face to face for that reason. I'm sort of, you know, I'm in hospitality. It seems crazy to do them over Zoom. And if if the countless hours that I've spent on Zoom meetings in the last couple of months have taught me anything, it's taught me that that was absolutely right. And uh, I, I, I do not believe, I know for some people, you know, the new norm might be working from home and the fact that we can meet via Zoom, but the vast majority of people I speak to really miss that human interaction of getting around a table and scribbling some notes on a bit of paper and yeah, having meetings face to face, I guess. Um, you touched on this a little bit earlier where you mentioned the uh, the incubator so i wanted to chat a little bit about you know sort of what what else curb does can you just talk to me about the incubator and, and the journey that you could sort of help take traders on through that sure so we call kind of the journey that we take traders on our ecosystem so that starts with hatching new talent and, and at the very start of the journey we run workshops once a quarter it's a full day where anyone can come along buy a ticket and learn how to start a street food business and we do that because you know, we believe in entrepreneurialism and we believe in talent and street food is one of the one of the most accessible businesses, um, you know, with a, with a great idea and the ability to cook. You could have a street food business for, for five thousand pounds and um, people come to our workshops and we've seen some amazing. In fact, uh, Zan Kaufman of, of Bleecker Burger, her business started by coming to a workshop that Petra ran many years ago. And she always talks about that, how without Curve there wouldn't be a Bleecker Burger. Um, so we, we run those every quarter. We've actually just, um, during lockdown, uh, run a, a week of workshops um, remotely and put them on YouTube, um, and they're free to view. Um, so if you're interested, check those out um, at Curb's YouTube channel. Um, but So it starts with a workshop, and then we get typically about 500 applications a year to trade with Curb. Um, we sift through those, and we're looking for interesting new concepts. We're looking for... Um, something in the people, in the founders, that is interesting, exciting, and that they are the right type of people for our community. And then we take on about 12 traders every uh, three to four months, and we put them through our incubator scheme. And that is a a period of three months where they are mentored by one of the Curb team, and uh, they trade on certain markets, incubator markets, where the public know that they're coming and they're seeing some new talent, which is really exciting, but it might be a little bit rough around the edges. And actually, we've seen huge take up of that where um, at certain markets, the incubator day is more popular than the next day, which typically would be a more popular day of the week. So those traders trade with us for three or four months. They're mentored through that process. Um, and then at the end of it, they either graduate and become a full curve member or um, maybe we extend their incubation a little bit if, if they're not quite ready or, or maybe we just don't think they're quite right for curve and, when we, um, and we end that there. Um, 
you then become a full card member. At that point, you can trade at any of our markets. You can apply to cater all of our catering events and any public events we put on. And, um, you know, you're, you're listed on our website, which is obviously a great shop window for your for your business. Um, and the bit we're doing now is, is kind of what we call taking flight is what's next. Um, so we do two things at that stage. One is we have a food hall, which is kind of the interim space between street food and your own bricks and mortar. And the idea is bringing talent through the food hall for a year or two, seeing if they've got what it takes in a seven day a week environment with a you know, decent rent to pay, um, but make that as accessible as possible as well. And then hopefully they go on to their own bricks and mortar after that. Um, at the same time, we run an investment scheme uh, where traders can come on a six week course and learn about uh, what's involved in the next stage. So we have uh, a property expert come and talk to them. We have a branding expert come and talk to them. We help them write a business plan. And at the end of that journey, we will introduce them to um, some investors that we vetted to potentially invest in their in their business and, and help them get their first bricks and mortar site. So that's kind of the ecosystem from workshops and incubation right through to kind of food halls and their own bricks and mortar. So that's what we try and do. Yeah, amazing. Uh, we're renowned as an industry, as a sector, I guess, for having such a high failure rate, something like you know 80% within two years or something like that. So presumably you really help uh, eliminate a lot of that. I mean, it's, it's an incredible number of people, 500 applications yeah. a year down to sort of 12 people every, uh, what does it say, every, every three every to four months that yeah, yeah. join. So it's a, it's, a, it's a big kind of filtration process, I suppose. Um, how many tend to come all the way you know, through the system? What's the success rate once they're with you? So, yeah, we, we, so pop. Part of the ecosystem is is helping you to succeed and, and also failing in the least expensive way. Yeah. So rather than diving straight into a restaurant and borrowing a shed load of money and realising after six months that A, it doesn't work or B, you don't like it, this is a much more cost-effective way of, of testing the water, testing your product to see if the public like it and tweaking your product, working out where in London is best for your product because different things trade well in different locations. So you can test the water in all of these kind of different aspects before taking the plunge. Um, success rate. So if we take 12 traders on an incubator scheme, typically eight to 10 will graduate out of those 12. Um, but quite a few fall away in the first year. Once they're kind of in the open market, pitching against all of the curve members, it is very competitive. Um, and um, it is very, very hard work. Street food trading is not for the faint-hearted. You trade through the winter. If you've got a gazebo, you've got to take that, put that thing up, and take it down in the pouring rain. You know, and you may have prepped a hundred meals, and you get an unexpected down call right at lunchtime, and you sell nothing. So, um, incredible highs, but also incredible lows. And and it's not for everyone. So we we see, you know, I would say at least 50% of the traders that graduate fall away in that first year because it's just not right for them. Yeah, it is a bonkers industry. I'm laughing as you're talking because it, it, it is so, you know, how we run and what we do, isn't it? And the unexpected, you know, pouring down the rain, yeah, guaranteed pretty much it's going to hit just at lunchtime and it'll be beautifully sunny mid-morning and mid-afternoon and we work in such a ridiculously challenging sector. I guess the flip side is it's it's full of beautiful humans and when it's working, uh, you know, it's, it's a real privilege and a real pleasure to work in. Um, but apart from that support, which sounds fantastic. And by the way, that, that YouTube channel you mentioned where you've done some of this incubator stuff. So what, what sort of topics were those videos covering that you said you put out this week? Oh, so it's been it's been over the past few weeks, but we did a whole week, which was basically a virtual workshop. So how to start a street food business. Um, but we've been running them since, um, I think we've got one this week, how to create a hero dish. Um, and uh, we've done a trader boot camp where we've taken uh, someone who wants to start a street food business and kind of put them through the mill of our team analyzing their idea and their concept um, and doing that publicly so everyone can see what that process looks like. So there's there's probably about a dozen videos up there now. Great. Just hit YouTube and, and Curb, is it? Curb. Search for Curb. Yeah, nice. All right. Sounds really good. Um, other support you've been doing. So there's obviously been the, the necessity for some very specific support. So you've been doing these survival guides for, for traders. Uh, what are they about? And, what, and I suppose, you know, how many of your traders do you think are going to come out the other side of this? Um, good question. Um, we've been, you know, calling around all of our members kind of to see how they are and how they're feeling, and what they feel about this. I think um, I'm hopeful that, that a good percentage survive this as businesses. I think we will see some not get through this and, not, and perhaps 
you know, just not want to do it anymore. And on the other side, it's maybe going to something a little bit more stable. Um, in terms of support, we are obviously giving advice on on how to um, access any of the government schemes. Um, but also we have a, a kind of uh, an open forum community where all of the traders share their experiences. So if one's particularly, you know, had a really good experience with a bounce back loan, they'll share that. Um, any angles at all really to to generate some income, things like deliveries, where you can get the best deals, how you get the best deals. Um, it's all kind of shared within the community so that everyone helps each other. And it's a, it's a really key part of what we do this is that, it, it, yes, it's competitive when you're on the street, but it really is a community. And it's, it's, it's a real joy to watch everyone being really honest and, and sharing this information and everyone wanting each other to succeed and get through this and, um, and help each other. I think it's an, it's an amazing part of our sector and it's come up on this podcast numerous times before but I think yeah if you if you ask for help it's all about you know everybody helps each other I think there'd be a lot of sectors where it'd be a lot more cutthroat and uh, yeah you wouldn't be willing to help each other out but it does seem in hospitality it's full of people I guess who just like other other human beings and uh, want to see everybody do well and help each other so it's nice to hear that it's happening do you think that you know inevitably a lot of um, places are going to go under you, you'd like to think that the street food side of the business has the greatest opportunity i suppose to bounce back partly because it's often outside but partly also because it's got lower overheads whereas as we've said you know with rents a lot of uh high street kind of restaurants i suppose are going to go under do you see the landscape being very different at the end of this and do you think actually that there's a genuine opportunity for yeah the smaller street food trader to do better once a lot of the competition has gone yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And and I'm no expert, but I think on the high street, you, you're going to see um, you're going to see the best survive in some ways. And you're going to see you're actually going to see some great concerts fall by the wayside. But my hope is that the, the really great businesses that are profitable and are good businesses do survive, and and that maybe some of these very highly leveraged high street brands that have ex- expanded very quickly with, with venture capital money, maybe don't because maybe their backers aren't that interested in a world where you've just got to survive and you've got to borrow just to, just to you know, to survive and then and then trade just to pay off your debt. I don't know how exciting that's going to be for a lot of people that have backed these businesses. Um, but, my, you know, my hope is that the independent great concepts get the support they need to to continue and and perhaps where some of the bigger boys fall away that might create some gaps on the high street that become more accessible and you might see some more um you know young fresh talent appear i mean that's very <laughs> idealistic and optimistic but that is my hope you know the, the, the facts are that it, for all of us at the moment it's impossible and you know we we need help to support. We need help from the landlords. We need help from the government. We need the furlough scheme to extend. You know, great that it's been extended to July, but what happens after that? Most restaurants aren't going to be back at anywhere near their capacity in July or August. They're not going to be back at that this year. So we're going to need that furlough extended definitely for the rest of this year. We're going to need some help on our rents um, alongside all the other really good schemes that are already in place. And then hopefully, hopefully, you know, depending on what the virus does, we can look forward to it to, to starting to think about bouncing back in 2021. Yeah, no, I share your uh, optimism, I guess, on the sort of people that survive and the sort of people that don't. I'm very concerned that so many traders, you know, who, who are good operators and, and should survive won't. But I really do hope that, you know, this this crazy kind of rollout vc bat rollout that we've seen in the last few years which i do genuinely believe has decimated our sector by driving up rents and sort of driving down price and the sort of voucher culture and i, I do believe it's been a sort of race to mediocrity and I, I so hope hospitality for me was never supposed to be a, a commodity you know it's tens of thousands of years old street trading's thousands of years old and uh, yeah i really hope that the good stuff uh, comes through this and maybe it's the reset we required in a much harsher way and i feel for those businesses and i feel for the people that work in them but i do hope the right stuff comes out the other side of this so um i share that with regards to government support i mean i guess particularly on the furlough scheme um any thoughts on around the challenges that we have at the moment that you're sort of you're all in or you're all out you know you've got to be refurloughed for a minimum of three weeks at a time I'm, I'm speaking to people and it feels like there needs to be a bit of flexibility where maybe once upon a time we were trading seven days a week but now we might only be able to trade you know the two busiest days of the week and because of distancing you know we're going to need to keep people apart so we might want to bring 
some people back for a couple of days a week and others for a couple of days. Have you, have you had any conversations or thoughts around how the furlough scheme could work better for our sector? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's brilliant. You know, that, that scheme is, is quite incredible. Um, and yes, we're going to all pay for it in the long term. But right now, it is incredibly effective at saving jobs. The day we, we stop trading at $7 market, you know, a lot of our, um, our front of house team and our bar team are on either low hours or, or zero hours contracts. And, you know, essentially there was no more work for them. They were redundant. Um, and the furlough scheme has enabled us to keep all of those people on the payroll that we've spent six months finding and training and investing in. And, and that is quite incredible. When it was announced, I actually shed a tear because I was, mm. I was so relieved that we were going to be able to keep this team together. Um, I think in some ways, for a lot of people, it's, it's too generous, you know, and it made it very easy for everyone to shut up shop because, you know, takeaway businesses, McDonald's, for instance, you know, once once you're getting 80% of your, of your of your wage bill paid by the government, it's very easy to stop. And I think people are going to really struggle to wean themselves off that support. And I think, yes, you know, for for businesses that can start to get open, businesses like ours, you know, when we start our markets, they might be one or two days a week. So it would be great if I could unfurlough someone for that one or two days but still get the support for the other three. Um, and um, and same for Seven Dials. If that does open this year, you know, it may be that it's not seven days a week um, when we reopen, and, and, and the same applies there. So, yes, flexibility to ask people to work part-time is, is essential, and I think that that is coming based on what the Chancellor said yesterday. Um, I think the weeding off it is, is, is a good idea for a lot of people. But I think particularly in our sector, in hospitality, you know, the government have made it very clear we're going to be the last ones to open. So I would I would hope and I would pray that specifically for hospitality, perhaps they extend it to the end of the year. Um, and I don't think it should be for every sector, because I do think if you're going back to work and you are allowed to open and you are allowed to to do what you do safely, then then probably it's not appropriate after August. But for us, I think we're going to need it. So, yes, an extension till the end of the year. Um, and and the ability to start unfurling people either temporarily or on a part-time basis would be really, really helpful. Um, but so far, it's been great. And every time, you know, you think it's going to run out, it's been extended. Um, so, you know, I'm a huge fan of the scheme. But, but getting the last part right is so important because if they get it wrong, you know, as JD says, you know, two million people could lose their jobs. You know, if that had been cut off at the end of June with no kind of soft landing, that is what would have happened. Um, but, but you know, and, and, and if it does get ended at the end of July or the end of August, potentially that's been pushed down the line. So weaning everyone off of it gradually is really important. Well, I think he's already said October, isn't he? I guess it's this issue that we're un- unsure of yet is, yeah, exactly how the split's going to be. Exactly. Uh, if we're not open and we're asked to contribute you know, 30, 40% to someone's salary, that still might not be possible for us. Yeah, no, you I know, agree. If we're open at some level, then great, that works. And for lots of businesses, that will. But for, for, for a business like ours, if we're not open, I'm not sure how we can contribute that much at all to, to, to the salaries. No, clearly we can't until there's some sort of revenue coming in. Uh, yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think there's lots of sectors who've had a little bit of a dip in revenue and, and it has you know, genuinely saved some of those jobs for a period of time while we have that dip. But as they can reopen, yeah, hospitality is really one of the very few sectors that's completely dropped to zero and is going to need that support. But I think the flexibility is key. I look at my business, you know, I can at the moment, I can now start to maybe trade a, a takeaway on a Friday and Saturday evening, but it would be um, completely pointless doing that any other day of the week. My challenge is I'm almost incentivized to not reopen and not find a way of trading the, out of this because of the complexity of furlough. And as much as anything, I want to A, save my business, but really I, I, I want to save the government money. You know, we're all going to be paying for this. So where there's opportunities, you know, to reduce it, I think most intelligent business operators across the country would say look you know we, we don't want to decimate the uh, the national coffers and if we can find a way to trade out of this and some sort of compromise clearly it's in the business's benefits and it's in the government's benefits and the member of the team as well i'm sure a lot of them would love to get back to work for a couple of days a week even if they can't go back fully so you don't want to seem ungrateful for the scheme because like you say it's incredible but i think if we can work on some flexibility for specific sectors it would be uh, incredibly useful yeah i agree well, look, you know, thank you so much. It's, it's brilliant to catch up. I'm conscious of time. Are there any other sort of, you know, pressing issues that we've not covered? Anything else that you would like to raise, Simon? No, I think I think you've covered the majority of it. I think, you know, 
what, what we're trying to do, the optimist in me and the optimist in Petra as well, we're trying to look forward now and think, what does Curve look like from 2021 onwards? You know, how is the world going to change? You know, how do we stay relevant? How do we stay exciting? How do we help more people? Um, and, and, you know, I'm trying to devote a percentage of my time to that. So I'm not just bogged down in survival and negativity that I am looking to the horizon as well and thinking about, you know, bouncing back really emphatically and being um, a better company than we were before this crisis. And I think that's really important is, is, is to kind of have some kind of, um, you know, exciting future, exciting opportunities to look at on, on the other side of this. Yeah, agreed. I think it would be disappointing, wouldn't it? It would feel like a wasted opportunity if we if we came out of this just as a species almost, let alone as a business, and didn't take some of this time to just try and think about, yeah, with a pause, you know, how different can we be? I had a great chat with Andrew Stephen from the Sustainable Restaurant Association a few days ago, and it was, you know, it was really interesting to talk about, you know, what, what could our sector look like? Uh, and particularly, I guess, when you're receiving significant amounts of government support but you know wouldn't it be lovely if we could support the businesses that cared about you know their teams and cared about where their food and drink came from and supported british produce and british farmers and and animal welfare and it gets very complicated when you get to that level but it's just nice to have a bit of time to pause and think about yeah what would our industry look like if we were designing it from scratch rather than reacting to this sort of you know crazy price sensitive world that we've been in in the last few years yeah, I totally agree. And it'd be great if our, you know, our customers really thought about the value of, of that dish they're eating. Yeah, that would That'd be, be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And and try and buy from the uh, from the quirkier independents and support those individuals. I do think there's been a huge sort of, uh, and we're, you know, we're trying to call it physical rather than social distancing, because as a species, we're clearly very sociable and we want to look after our, our local community and our people and stuff like that. Um, thank you. If people want to follow uh, you or, or Curb, where's the best place for them to go? Is there a particular social media channel that's better, Simon? Um, well, they're all slightly different, our social media channels, but curbfood.com. And, and obviously, we're, we're, we're quite active on um, Instagram and Twitter, as you would expect. And then obviously, our YouTube channel as well. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, I will put some uh, links up on the show notes to this as well. So humansofhospitality.co.uk. And I will I will link through to a few of your bits and to that YouTube channel that you mentioned where the workshops are. But for now, uh, thank you. I'm conscious that your next call is with your uh, landlord. I very much hope that goes well. And uh, keep in touch. And one day, I'll nip up to London and we can have a beer face to face. Fantastic. Look forward to it. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Huge respect and thanks to Simon for being so honest and open about Curb and their members' experiences. I've only ever heard positive feedback about Curb and what it stands for, so it was lovely to finally have a more in-depth chat with them. Now, the resources that Simon mentioned via the YouTube channel and a link to their website are all available via the show notes at humansofhospitality.co.uk. Just type Curb into the little search bar on the website, and whilst you're there, sign up to my weekly newsletter. And if you can take one minute to hit a five star or even leave a few words as a review on Apple Podcasts or your player of choice, that would be hugely, hugely appreciated. And remember to leave a tip and help keep this podcast on the air. Please click on the Patreon link via the website. I'll be back very soon with a new episode, but thank you for now.